welcome back to an all-new episode of the Super Metal Brothers podcast, where we start to realize the limitations of my attempt to truly understand the misery of man. I am Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'm Super Metal Brother Dan. Taking one off from Cybreed, a band that unfortunately is no longer around right now. Um, they came to Adelaide and played in front of about three people, which was the biggest crime humanity's ever faced. And I thought, what about have a throwback? Because this week we've had a couple of... Uh, Big stories drop out of, you know, departing and ending. So we thought, you know, why not uh, keeping that theme down this week? Yeah, exactly. I remember that Cybreed concert. I actually had a bit of a skull ring on at the time. And after the gig was so exciting, the um, bass player wanted to like fist pound everybody. And I put my, my skull ring out. I was like, oh, no shit. So I had to move my hand to the side. So I did like smack <laughs> his finger. Like, ah! <laughs> Rear-ended by an overzealous fan. Ah, shit. Hey, that's me. Oh, well, uh, maybe he must have done it later on in another concert, Danny. So, because, you know, unfortunate for the side breed. But you've come here for one reason, and that's to uh, hear another podcast episode. And on tonight's episode, we've got a beauty for you. We are going to be talking about the next Big Four. Uh, we know who the Big Four are right now. And uh, we need to know when they retire, uh, they might not. They might be dinosaurs, you know. But um, we, we would like to think that there is life after, you know, Metallica and Megadeth. We're also talking about um, the latest hate album, Danny. Trinemdium? Three of them. Yeah, three of them. Three of them. Three of them. But first, let's talk news. Kicking this off right away with Mushroom Head. Their tour bus slams into two cars just outside of Houston, Texas. Uh, no one injured, but uh, I guess their pride was hurt long before that when they realized that Slipknot was far more superior than them with their whole mask gimmick. Yeah, definitely right. Nothing really about bus crashing, but I think that's a metaphor of their life right now. They <laughs> <laughs> crashed crash shot the bus. Oh, terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, good news, no one got hurt, but as a forger, it happens every six months or so. You hear about, you know, tour bus crash or car crash or van crash and... These guys, they tour quite hard and, you know, if someone falls asleep at the wheel, it can be quite quite tricky. You the know? problem is right now is the way the music scene is, you can't actually make money out of music anymore. So these bands are forced to tour every second day or every day of their life. And eventually you just, you know, you have an argument about anything. I mean, you know, at that time when you spend 360 days with that one person, the soap um, in the bathroom would be an issue eventually. So, you know, lo and behold, the bus gets crashed. You want me to crash this bus? I'll crash this bus. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet down and ram through the river. Ah, <laughs> ah. Um, Devin Townsend hinting on something heavy again. This must have been like basically Viagra for the metal community, I'd imagine. Uh, everyone's a Devin Townsend fan, apparently. Except for Super Metal Brother Matt, which makes him not a metal brother. Just Super, super Brother Matt, I'd imagine right super now. Super Matt. But, yeah. uh, and they're not very super because I don't like Devin Townsend no. either. <laughs> I'm just Brother yeah, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Are you really a Matt? I don't know, man. Uh, Devin Townsend hinting at Super Heavy again. He basically had uh, a leash he's been explaining since he had the kids... He, um, you know, it's, it's been a bit more tricky. It hasn't been Daddy, but now he's come out and said basically that he hopes to, and when he does, there's a place from what he's learned to. And then instead of being frustrated and beating your kids, you can, you know, beat a drum or a guitar. Yeah, I don't think he beat his kids. We'll just, we'll just. Uh, oh, probably not. You know, <laughs> but you know, he might one day, and that'd be terrible. So why not have? Metaphorically, he has he has yeah. access to music, right? Yeah. So he can show that to the fans, and they'll love it. Whether he calls it though, the Devin Townsend project or. Does he bring back Strapping on Lab? Well, that's true because he's actually hinted that he might change the name because like, like you suggested in the past, man, these bands who decide to keep their name but change their style completely just upsets the traditional fans. But Devin Townsend never did that. Anytime he covered a new style, he's actually branded it differently, you know? So he's done that clean stuff. He's done the Devin Townsend project. He's done Strapping on Lab. But every time he has a new kind of style that he feels like it departs too much from that context of a band who changed the name. He's no Opeth, right? He's no like, ah, I'm just have a clean album because, you know, I think Rainbow did it once and I can do that because nah, I'm Opeth, nah, you know? Nah. Nah. Nah, nah. nah so it's good. So it should be interesting. Like you suggested, he's um he's got, his kids are growing up now. So I guess he felt like he, had a, he was on a bit of a leash when his kids were growing up. But now they're older, I guess he has the ability or the right, as he, however he wants to call it, to be a bit more angry in his expression. And, but like he says, he wants to have be controlled, like unlike his youth where he, he was just an angry man and he just wanted to get out there. I feel like he says a bit of a controlled aggression and, well, you know. Maybe for better songs, maybe it won't. Well, only time will tell, but we'll definitely review the album when it comes out. Textures, on the other hand, um, you know, going from one story of, of happiness to a, one of sadness. The band Textures has called it quits. The anticipated sixth album genotype is not coming with it as well. You thought they might have a swan song, but uh, this departure is... Uh, Wants to be very sudden, although they're claiming there's no hardships between the band. Interesting. Maybe 
the the kiddie pool ran out, you know, and they had to spend things like on food instead of you know guitar strings. Yeah. Or do you think there's another something else here at play, Denny? Oh yeah, they're, they're probably just half the band want to probably go in one direction, half band goes in that direction. So you in, in in what a month's time you hear our oh, supergroup forming X Textures members are playing a whole different style. So well, it's kind of funny because Textures when they first started, and I got a couple of their first albums. They were kind of going along the lines of Meshuggah in a sense, but they kind of had it in a higher tuning and. It was a bit of a prog kind of fest as well where they were kind of doing it. And then I think when Gent came along, they kind of went with it a little bit. Maybe lost their way a bit. Maybe there's like this whole struggle internally. Or maybe they just, you know, want to do something that, you know, pays dividends. So good luck to that, I guess. Maybe work retail. Actually, that doesn't pay any money either. Uh Um, Yeah, maybe there's something else they can do, Danny. Well, where are they from? Is it it Holland or is it Denmark? I'm not sure. I didn't didn't get that Superman Brothers work for that kind of stuff, unfortunately. That's that's, that's the next beyond level. Yeah, so we'll move on to our next story with Avenged Sevenfold then, okay? The frontman says it was surprised the album release because I think at the end of the day, it wasn't the greatest plan in the world. That comes from the singer's mouth. There was confusion with the whole community. And in fact... uh, they uh, were questioned at one point from DJs like, so the album's coming out soon. Like, dude, it's in out for four months. Yeah. yeah. That was a problem. Such a big band thought they could try a new strategy in the market, maybe drop an album all of a sudden to excite fans and get them on board. But you really need the hype train because if the hype train doesn't come, the other fans don't know when to get on it. And yeah. uh, they're basically just sitting at home still. Yeah, it's pretty much true. Like they, they only now have decided to give singles out from the album to these DJs and radio stations. You're like, well, the album's been out for four months. They're, what's the point type attitude and even at least the singer finally admitted okay it wasn't the best idea hey but at least they tried it's good for everybody else out there who thought about doing yeah. it like oh okay I won't do it now because they're a successful yeah. band and if they can't get it to work then there's no hope for anyone else being able to get it to work it just shows you that literally these old I guess cliches do work still you know much like horror movie with jump scares sure you know you, you're gonna get like scared and right out of it you've seen it in a million movies but you know you still want to see it again and again right so there you yeah, go exactly I mean putting all this different effort in being avant-garde and all the extra effort need to be avant-garde really doesn't work in you know, sometimes you know you stack potatoes doing it the old-fashioned way it's uh, the way to do it but the worst thing about that for Avenged Sevenfold we actually listened to that CD we reviewed it last year and it wasn't a bad CD so um, it's a shame that uh, people aren't going to know about it because they're not doing anything wrong in it you know I, th- yeah. I thought it was okay I, I'd imagine you know someone of Avenged Sevenfold fans wouldn't want to know about it and uh, you know Good, 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 good for them, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, definitely. Right. Again, it's a shame. I think the record companies probably pulled them aside as well and saying, "Yeah, yeah, no more of that crap, mate." Yeah, yeah, stick, exactly. Stick to Plan A, son. Yeah, uh, Groupies Delight. Apparently, the, there's a uh, online shopping center, whatever, for stickers for your PlayStations. And just last week, they released a disturbed, just disturbed mascot. You know, from you know, disturbed from the wah ah ah ahs and the doing really bad covers of uh, really good songs. <laughs> Um, yeah, they decided to re- uh, release a, uh, a sticker for your PS4. And what better way to celebrate a band who basically relives old riffs and old vocals from their past by reimagining them and re-stickering their albums than in a console that right now is just basically going through rehashes of old trademark games and putting another number at the end of it. So I think it's running parallel. How did the video game market wow. and music running parallel with each other? Who would have thunk it? That's amazing. Like, I am t- t- imitating life, man. This is quite amazing. But look, it does look pretty sweet, though. I'll give that. Because it's, it's the disturbed guy. Whatever his name is, covered in flames and stuff. So it's a pretty sweet looking cover. Come disturbed, man. Disturbed man. So yeah. he's, he's a bit disturbed, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. But he's I, got no face. Not the way he's disturbed, man. Oh, he looks upset. But especially being on a PS4, you know what I mean? That'd be, that'd be very upsetting. I mean, these... you can also get on things called an Xbox. I don't know what that thing is. Uh, Who's she? Yeah. yeah all, all I know is that you can't get porn on those things. Or can you? Next Ooh. story. Lordy. You know, the guy, apparently the main singer from Lord, uh, Lord E, sorry, because Lord is the Australian metal yeah, band, right? different. But Lord E was, you know, I'm best from, I guess, what were they called it? Hello, Eurovision. Oh, Eurovision, uh, I was yeah, um, What is Eurovision for the fans out there, Danny? Uh, Eurovision is like, if you like any cheesy European cliche you want to see, like, all put together in a three-hour fest, which only happened about two Sundays ago. So it's pretty much all countries in Europe go into the scene competition. And Australia, apparently. Yeah, and Australia. We are we're we're a bit we used to be like back in the days when we were all one island. Australia used to be part of Europe and then we drifted really far away. Yeah. And I thought, well, considering you used to be part of the main island, we can still consider you Europe. So we, we came and we entered and normally you don't have even though Europe's full of heavy metal bands and 
big famous heavy metal bands they play out on the radios etc you don't really get too many heavy metal bands in Eurovision yeah so much like a young daughter who wants to distance himself further away from their abusive father and become a stripper we found the same way with Australia being in Europe you know, we're in Eurovision right now big competition and Lordy were one of those metal acts oh, uh, I really use that term loosely much like a stripper yeah. um, they, they looked metal they, they looked like Kiss if they were zombies. Yeah. They were zombified Kisses. Yeah. Um, wearing battle armor, I guess you can put it that way. Yeah, like G Sims. They <laughs> won, right? Anyway, they won Eurovision as a metal gimmick. I'll disagree that they're metal, but let's get onto it that uh, they were they famous for it, right? And mm. then everyone went up to them congratulating, saying, that I, I know you from... And that really pissed the guy off. Yeah, apparently every year after that, to an hour, they've always got asked, oh, can you do like a show in this country around Eurovision or can you be our representative of... Uh, whatever for Eurovision and he got really angry saying oh that's we're more than just Eurovision we're this like, well no because if it wasn't for Eurovision no one would have known about you mate well the thing is that's fine you made someone's life happy through it and that's the way the pop industry works it's from a gimmick you know and you you got on a pop the poppiest of pop um, events you know it's a mainstream event it's, it is it is part of pop culture right now Eurovision um it's like it's like someone having the audacity to complain that they have so much money they have to buy stuff they don't need. Like, where's the audacity in yeah, that? Yeah, no. Like, where's the fairness? Yeah. You know, like you got your chance. You talking? You broke through because of that chance. So so when he's yeah. he's come to terms with it now, and he's finally yeah. gotten a realization that you know he did make people happy, and you know it's part of his life that he's proud of. You know, he's a metal band that made it successful on um, Eurovision, where so little bands have done that. But we're going to give you the douchebag of the week for bringing that up, man. That was like a really douchebag thing to do. Just kind of yeah, like yeah. be angry at your fans because they recognize you from somewhere. Or being recognized from somewhere, like from TV. Like, yeah, but what do you think was going to happen? Yeah, people only recognize me in full face paint. So his normal day life, he's still John the Butcher. Yeah, exactly. He's like... Jan's the Butcher, whatever his name is. Unless he goes up to people and like, I was in, I'm in Lordy, you know. It's like, oh, you mean the guys from Eurovision? Yeah, 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 it's right, it's yeah. his fault anyway. That's actually that's 10 years ago. So give him credit. He's, they've lasted 10 years. It's pretty impressive. Now, we were curious because I think we talked about... Uh, did we talk about Devil Driver making a country album last week, Danny? Yeah, it's, well, a week or two ago, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we really wanted to understand why a band... Because we just talked about it, I think, three minutes ago, how people change their style so much and do something else with it. Now, Devil Driver, if you don't know who Devil Driver are, they're an American band that plays American heavy metal music. You know, the new wave where it's kind of like Lamb of God, but not, but mostly it is. You know, it's, it's kind of thrashy, it's heavy, but it's got like a bit of redneck about it. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like the song Redneck for Lamb God, man. Is that what you try and get it? Well, apparently it's not Redneck enough because these guys oh. are going to country and the band is, oh, I don't know how they're going to do it. How are you going to get a sound that's, you know, basically about two pieces of iron smashing together and you're you know, putting distortion pedal into it to, you know, hooking up with your cousin? Like, I, I'm not too sure how, how they're going to get this to work, guys. Well, apparently they're not putting too much effort in because it's a, pretty much a covers album. Oh, so they're Super Metal Brothers then? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it's a covers album of all their country classics they love, and but they're going to put like a metal twist to it, whatever that means. They'll use distortion to car and probably double kick. So yeah, if anything like uh, Children of Bodom, they'll just probably get really really drunk, do covers with distortion, and uh, go out and do Snow Angels. And if they haven't got any snow, they'll just do Sand Angels. Yeah, I'm cat this plants. So you gotta yeah, be careful of those so, and rattlesnakes. So you know we probably won't review that one because um, it kind of sounds lame. But, yeah, but it's uh, actually interesting though because they're going to have a lot of like guest musicians in it as well. So people from Lamb of God, etc., will be playing a part of it. So it's going to be a big old-fashioned metal show. Maybe down. the Super Metal Bros will get back on it. Oh, yeah, all right. Probably not. No. Dream Theater. Can you believe our friend James? Actually, he's more your friend, Libri. I, I, I don't really know him that, that hey, well. Don't pin on me now, mate, just because of what we're going to talk about. <laughs> That's a bit rude. I'm a Russell Allen guy now. I've always been a Russell oh, Allen yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. I think when we talk about Symphony X, I think people will understand how much I love Symphony X, right? Yeah. But more importantly, we're talking about Dream Theater. And why were Dream Theater covering a Soundgarden song, Danny? Yeah, it's very sad news this week where the passing of Chris Cornell, a fantastic singer, musician, um, you know, thoughts and prayers with his family and friends. He was you know, a big inspiration to a lot of people, came through the grunge era, and it was a big impact on a lot of people's lives and the music industry. So it's very, very sad to hear about his passing, especially soon after a gig. So... Throughout the week, we've had a lot of nice, touching tributes, and they're, they're great. People always want to show respect and pay respect to a, a great person who's affected them, and Dream Theater were no different. They thought they would also pay their respects to Chris Cornell and on stage live um, do one of the and songs. And nothing is like paying respects to one of the biggest artists in grunge and rock and roll history than forgetting the lyrics to Black Hole Sun. It is as awkward as you can imagine watching this film clip. And you know what the worst thing is, Danny? 
Oh, man. It's like 50 seconds long. He only does maybe the first verse yeah. up to the chorus, and he couldn't even remember that. But then again, Labrie probably doesn't even care. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I reckon he's kind of those guys, because I think you meet him, he's like, I'm Labrie. I think, this is the thing, I remember people talking about meeting Labrie, and he wouldn't even shake their hand. And I'm like, but you're a singer. Oh, yeah, like meet and greets. It hurt his hand if he shakes too much. Yeah, yeah. what? Well, is that what you channel all your false falsetto notes is it, dude? Like, you know what I mean? You can't hit those upper octaves because your, your middle pinky or your pinky finger is uh, is bruised slightly. Oh, that's, that maybe it's mic holding hand, man. If you can't hold the mic, it's no sense. <laughs> and you got Petrucci, he's like the biggest shredder in the world. He goes in for the big rep. But then again, you see his arms, he's prepared for the handshake. He's yeah, been preparing yeah. for fucking 10 years for that yeah, stuff. pretty much. Um, yeah, so if you guys want to watch it, you do. You know, um, it's... It's just kind of a shame that you they wanted to maybe cash in on it and they and they failed miserably, but uh, they went into um, something from the uh, uh, Images and Words album, the uh, one of those uh, tracks as well, which was cool. Yeah. The transition was really a good idea. It would have been a great transition if yeah. they didn't stuff up and then say, "Oh f, I forgot the lyrics," <laughs> and then shit. I mean, it, it yeah. made it more obvious. It made it more obvious. if he just repeated the same line that he sang before, then. Alright, but what you should do like every single vocalist in the world does when they forget lyrics, just hand the mic to the fans and get them to sing. Yeah, that's a great point. Or, or Elvis, he just made new words up on the spot. Yeah, just, just do that. You know, it's a critical episode, but I don't want to. And then he could do that the whole thing. Like I just didn't want to take away from his awesome lyric writing, so I thought I'd just help embellish, make it more dream theater. <laughs> you know, like something wanky that dream theater would do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, insert um, a solo here and here and here and here and here and here and here. Oh, we're in a roll. Uh, just you know, landing punches on these musicians. So let's keep going with Lincoln Park. Frontman Chester Bennington, he once again calls out fans that I don't know if you remember last week, guys. Uh, Linkin Park were calling out fans who said that they sold out because they changed their sound too much, and then now they're far more commercially sounding. And back before they were almost a rock band, I guess you could call them. Yeah, you know? there's some heavy-ish times in there. Yeah, um, this is what he said though. But if you're gonna be the person who says they've made a marketing decision to make this kind of record to make money. You can effing meet me outside and I will punch you in your effing mouth because that is the wrong effing answer. I don't think he'd be punching anyone in the mouth. He's far too rich to want to punch anyone in the mouth. Uh, more importantly, uh, what a douchebag thing to say because your fans can can say whatever they want. They bought the record. Let them have arguments with other internet fans. You know, if anything, they get, other fans will get more stronger connection to you anyway. You know, so what's the issue? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, no one likes being called a sellout, but you guys have been mainstream for so long now. I don't think you really can become a sellout. If you want to change your sound, then change your sound. Like like everybody's been doing lately. It's not like it's a new thing. So unfortunately, these guys in Suicide Silence have decided to take things ultra personally. And it's the one thing you can't do is attack your fans because people, people are very quick to judge or quick to react you're going to start attacking fans they're quickly going to forget about you well that's right and you have to look at the, the way that your nature of the being is you know you're making quite a lot of money uh, the old school fans who put all that money into you to hear old stuff then you abandon that change your sound to a more mainstream thing you get a little bit more fans out of it and the old fans now are like you know jaded and frustrated that you band actually give, give credit to this guy because James Debris who's a singer does want to shape his hands because he will get a sore hand but this guy's also singing, and he's willing to punch people in the yeah. face for a sore hand. So I think he's got he's got some sort of whisper about him. Yeah, I guess so. But um, that's why face got a punch as well, man. I'll, I'll get in that queue. You know what? Yeah, I would go to him like, you know what? I, getting a punch, your face punched by that kind of color celebrity, that's like probably a million, two million oh, in damages. Yeah. You know, even if you nicked your eye socket, you could be all like, I can't taste the color red anymore. Hey, I've been playing um, soccer my whole life. I'm prepared to roll around and pretend I've been hurt yeah. worse than I have been. Oh, I'd be like, I can't get, I can't fall pregnant anymore. Do you know how hard yeah, okay. it is for a 32 year old bull? Men to get pregnant these days. <laughs> Getting punched in the head by a Lincoln Park member doesn't help. Yeah, every so, time someone wants to give me like a fist pump, I'll freak out and yeah. punch me in the head and have like, you know, PST or something. Yeah, that's right. You know, you got to hide in a corner with Vietnam War stories with the old veterans. You know, you'd be that old guy in the 80s, you know, you have the medals that you didn't earn. But, you know, then again, you did go through Lincoln Park. You can have like a I survive a Lincoln Park attack. I'd imagine that's panic. people have panic attacks just by listening to the music, let alone getting punched in the face by the band. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, we're just, we're just going for it. We're, taking, we're having swinging punches at the band. <laughs> I don't know who swings more punches, <laughs> us or them. <laughs> and in the red corner, that's much better. Richie Blackmore reactivated Rainbow. Sorry, dude, I'm going to have to put that in quotations. When I first read the story, um, the Rainbow thing came out. Now, for those of you who don't know, Rainbow is one of the most iconic rock bands in the history of heavy metal rock and roll 
of all time. If you don't know who Rainbow is and you don't understand that, go ahead and buy Rainbow Rising or something or like whatever. There is a side of Rainbow that you're probably going to like, hey, Danny? Definitely right, man. He's uh, Richie Blackmore is probably the master of like multi styles and multi genres, so definitely correct. But the problem was that uh, he said that he's re reacted Rainbow, but when anyone who you've actually seen the reacted reenacted Rainbow would attest to, like Super Mel Brother Matt and Dan, didn't he? Yes. He didn't play a hell of a role of Rainbow songs. And apparently, it's more like he he kind of focused on the purple part of the Rainbow. <laughs> like his gig was sixty percent the purple songs. Like what are you doing? But to be fair. He's releasing two songs on the 26th of May. One song is I Surrender, which is a remake, but one song is a new song, a completely new rainbow song. Uh, Land of Hope and Glory. Do you reckon it is that it going, dirt, dirt, dirt? He goes, dirt, 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 dirt. He just replaced the tools with these. Damn jazz musicians. We are, I'm pumped for that. Now, I don't care. Because I think it's going to be great. Um, the only problem was that um, not everything at Rainbow was great. The very last album before I think he got burnt out and decided he wanted to have sex with his incredibly hot wife and do folk songs to give him more chances of having sex with his incredibly hot wife. Oh, I see. It's like a, a circle, a good circle though. Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know. Like uh, he was doing Rainbow at the time and the last album he did with that was literally Richie Blackmore's Rainbow and it was kind of like a bag of dick, really. Yeah, but it's funny because the first album was called Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. So you got excited. I think it'd be great, but no. No, it was it was it was just bad songs. It was a very average lineup with probably the most boringest drummer that's ever hit the face of rock and roll. I don't know how you make that make Richard Blackmore's riff sound boring, but congratulations. Yeah, but I think we're talking about drummers. I think this is a good segue into the next one, which should be our metalhead of the week, Matthew. Oh, absolutely, we are very impressed by Gene Hoagland. You'd know him very best for being in every single metal band that makes a lot of money. I mean, the guy just plays drums really good. Yeah, the Atomic Clock, as he's known. But the one band we want to talk about that uh, is the most important is Strapping Young Lad. You know Strapping Young Lad from Devon Towns we just talked about, about before. 20 minutes before, yes. It's all part of the circle of life, Danny. We are the Lion Kings oh, right man. now. We write a better script than like Snatch, man, how it all comes together in the end. Uh, maybe... Like Ma- Magic Mike, maybe that's more our quality of writing. I haven't seen that, Matt. So you go tell the story. Oh, here. it's it's got it's basically a bunch of guys stripping in front of it. It's really hot, but um, I'm not gay. <laughs> sure, with your girlfriends doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go back to Gene Hoagland. What, what has he done? Gene Hoagland is selling his strapping young lad drum kit from for charity. At least it's some of the proceeds. It's the the ad is a bit clickbaity because you think he's going to give it all to it, but when you watch it, he's actually going to donate some of it. But who he's donating it to is actually pretty cool. It's the National Association of Free and Charitable Clinics, and that's actually in memory of death frontman Chuck Shordina. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a great charity. It's pretty much a charity which um, offers financial aid for people who can't afford it for medical uh, treatment. So, yeah, it's oh, great. And I imagine being the, new, uh, sorry, the United States the way it is without, uh, like, I guess, that Obamacare or whatever, yeah. it'd be quite a lot of people. I imagine it'd be a lot of people. Well, that's if it gets scrapped, which could happen. So yeah. Let, but, yeah anyway. anyway, you know, if you guys want to buy it, so far I've checked out. And Dave, how much do you think the current kit is selling for on eBay? Oh, I haven't seen. I'm going to say 5000 3500 So much? far. 20500 3, $3,500. For a banged-up kit, no symbols. And maybe a snare, he said. He might even chuck in a snare for you. Uh, so okay. And that's American. So that, that would be about... Four two four five Australian. That yeah. sound pretty good, man. Been playing. On a, it's got. It's been on a great tours. It's been on some albums. It's been on Ozfest, and it's been on some really good ones. I don't know if it's on City, but it was on, on a few others. So that was pretty cool. Cool. And um, uh, we'll do a couple more stories. I think we're in a good mood today. So uh, let's talk about a very very drunk metal black metal band that um, tried to perform uh, as as Zeal as a, as a Zeal. I think they're called. That's the band. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um. Nothing can, can can get you ready for the 10 minutes you're going to watch. <laughs> In fact, I think after the first two minutes, I'm like, yeah, I got the hint. So I didn't actually watch it after that. Oh, yeah. But um, it consisted of four middle-aged, beer-bellied, um, uh, corn-flowered corn, uh, face for uh, black metal and some the worst singing you're ever going to hear. Yeah, I mean, the, the guitarist starts on the floor. Like, I think they start, he's, he stands up and the other backup singer is, is literally just like walking around for the whole thing. I don't know <laughs> if it was a singer. I thought it was a fan. <laughs> Could have been. Can someone get back to us? Can you go, honestly, go to our Facebook account and forward slash Super Metal Bro. He just went like jumpers and a sneaker. It didn't really fit like yeah. the entire. Yeah. And he's just gone on stage and he's like, 
<laughs> you're not even you're not even trying to be a ghost and I'm like security's bad at that place yeah so you know no one cared and it was terrible and I think they must have got like ushered off or maybe they died from being so bad that um, uh, the stage fell on them yeah, oh. and, they, and they were the opening act they got that slosh and they were the opening act if they were like third to last they'd probably be like in a coma or something yeah they would have been dead and everyone would have been a lot happier because that was oh it's just God. a bad it was terrible, <laughs> terrible. No, it was it was really really bad always as bad as uh, sad announcement for the last story of tonight Arch Enemy announced that the new album will be called Will to Power 10th studio album guitarist Michael Amott says after many months of writing and recording I'm guessing he's assuming himself yes in the studio, and we are delighted that to have finally completed the work of the 10th studio album, Wheel to Power. We are looking forward to sharing this music with you soon. Are we looking forward to listening to it, Danny? Oh, maybe. I, I might think it'd be all right. There's yeah. going to be at least 10 to 20 seconds off every single track that's going to be the most amazing thing you're ever going to hear, and that's when Alicia Glitz isn't talking and when Jeff Loomis is talking through his guitar. Yeah, but... It's granted that he actually wrote the guitar solo. Oh my god, so it's possible he didn't, right? Yeah, it is. It's possible he didn't. Because you've got him. Oh, we've talked about this every week. Yeah, and you know what? Much. I don't care. You know, for our for our uh, ten fans who tune in every week, we love you for it. You want to hear what I have to say about it, don't you? Um we're gonna review it. Now nah, it's gonna come out and we're gonna review it and I'm gonna to pretend to friggin' like it. I'm gonna to listen to it, I'm like, nah, I'm gonna love this album. Cause I might not have a chance to listen to Jeff Lemons anywhere else. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna pretend that Jeff Lemons wrote all those riffs. But once they're terrible, can you admit that they're terrible? No, I can't because yeah, I just can't. Oh, I, I, I can't pretend that. I can't, I can't fake. I'm not, it's not like my girlfriend being with me and like saying, yeah, Matt, you're doing a great job. That is the wrong hole and that is the wrong girl and this is not a girl. That was a pot plant. <laughs> but you get my hint. It was freshly fertilized. It's quite warm. Oh, man. It's <laughs> disgusting. We are so in trouble. But, you know, that's been our news stories for this week. I've had a lot of fun talking about them, but we need to talk about now is our main editorial event. Nothing in metal is bigger than the big four, apart from, I guess, stages and fan bases and Metallica's bank account. But yeah, pretty much. people need to know who the big four are, Danny. Who are heavy metal's big four? What are they? What does it all mean? They what is life? Yeah, they what, what is life? Mm, <laughs> interesting. Yes, quite. Anyway, the big four are pretty much uh, four massive American thrash metal bands. They all kind of came around from the 80s. So you have Metallica, which is the big one. You have Megadeth, which is... Metallica Jr., you have Slayer, and then you have Anthrax. So these are pretty much the big four. They've always been called the big four, and they've been, been that way for the last 20 or so years, 25 years. The funny thing with metal is that the 80s, they're a product of their time in the 80s, you know, where it was really about playing fast, heavy, and big F you to the, uh, the establishment and stuff until it got very macabre in the 90s and it was all self-loathing and pity and shooting yourself with a shotgun in the face. Am mm-hmm. I right, Danny? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> some sort of proof to that, yeah. But these guys can't be around forever. You know, eventually the Grim Reef is going to come knocking on their door and uh, no amount of money, and they've got all of it, uh, will be able to save them from their untimely demise. So we are here to talk about who are going to be the next four juggernauts in metal that will carry the flag that I think, and the best thing about this is really that even though they've got a heavy sound, they can still be transitioned to maximum amount of sales, maximum amount of numbers at gigs, and uh, exposure from not only the media... But um, but Super Metal Brothers, and uh, that's the most important thing about it, isn't it, Danny? Yeah, definitely right, man. I mean, as long as they start making fools of themselves and keep giving us like good material, then I don't mind who the big four are. That that'd be fine by me. But yeah, that's a uh, should be interesting times coming ahead. But like all of our cases, we need to ask the fans first because we aren't too sure where to start looking, and I'm pretty sure they've done more work than us. So let's talk to them about it. And first up on the mark, Shelley has uh, Mar- Marquise. Marquise, yeah, Shelley Marquise. Yeah. Uh, her comment is poof, Metallica, poof. Yeah, I know, we didn't hear about them either. We didn't know who they are, but they're on the top four. Yeah, we, we don't cover any Metallica stories in this, so you're crying. Who yeah. Are, who, who's poof, Metallica, poof. Yeah, Jamie Jackson, top four. Lamb of God, Slipknot, Trivium, and Fear Factory. Interesting lineup. I think the thing about that is, though, they're actually kind of separated. So what he's done is got probably some of the four biggest names in heavy metal. Now, the problem I think we'll come across later is We'll talk about later, but um, what do you think of that lineup, Danny? Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, I mean, def- I definitely agree with two of those. Um, Trivium, I don't know. I think they're kind of petering out a bit lately. And who's the other one that said Fear Factory? Yeah, again, Fear Factory. I, I don't think they'll get any bigger. I think they've 
hit a high, and I think they've also kind of stagnated a bit. But who knows? Daniel Cedarblad from Octanic, a big band here in Adelaide, uh, actually did a bit of touring overseas, so they're actually going to name for themselves. Uh, Testament. And he goes, are much better than Slayer and Anthrax, in my opinion. Well, if it was anything from the last album we heard from, yeah, definitely. definitely yeah, that yeah. thing ripped ass. He wants to put Carcass, would have to be up there too, I would agree. Uh, but the newer bands he would definitely talk about uh, would be Soilwork, Children of Bodom, Arch Enemy, and In Flames, looking like a Swedish juggernaut right there. I think that's actually all Gothenburg. They would be from the same state almost. But um, uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting lineup, Danny. I think Soilwork lost a bit of momentum. But um, children are, they're still doing quite well. Children of Bodom, when they're not you know, arsenine drunk. You got that black metal band. Uh, I've seen Arch Enemy play, and they're getting some big numbers, dude. Yeah, they are getting okay. scary, scary, scary. Um, and they get to play at night. So when you play at night, you look more ominous and evil as well. So that works in your favor as well. Um, do you agree with that, Danny? Do you think, that, I mean, they're all pretty much um, like death metal bands. Yeah. Do you? Would you say that maybe... That's a good way of calling it, like because uh, if you want to group it, I understand the other bands are all thrash bands. Now, if you want to yeah. group it, that's a fair thing to do. And that's the trick thing. Big Four. What do you mean by Big Four? Is it based on a genre? Is it based on popularity? So that that's how you describe. It. Again, if if you're going for the Big Four in Mellow Death at the moment, um, they could be it. I haven't really paid yeah, much attention to Death. I mean, uh, in Flames, I know they. I think again, they're staying the Peter a bit. The last album was very disappointing and the ones before that have been great so. and, and the band knows it themselves the bands are fully aware that they have to transition their new fans into the, this new style because they are just going kicking and screaming into it and um, I would too when you were spoiled with the finest things in life like the middle in flames even the early stuff it'd be very hard to uh, want to grow up and uh, admit these guys that this is where in flames is now Luke Serta Oh, he starts off with an expletive, so we won't say that, but we will say the rest of it. That's a hard question. Depends on what kind of big four you want. That's the problem we have too, mate. Many of us choose specific genres and so on, he says. For me, his big four would be one, Deerside, two, Entombed, three, Carcass, four, Napalm, Death, bit of a death metal vibe there as well. Probably sell a little bit less than the other ones, but uh, a passion and definitely juggernauts of that industry, I'd imagine, Daddy, wouldn't you say so? Yeah, definitely right again, yeah. But the thing is, we've gotten two lineups. One is of like death, one is death. And I think those lineups are fairly strong, you know. Um, they could be the, the big four of their respected uh, genres. Mm. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. So it, it's tricky again. So how do you classify what do you want to classify it as? So what are your thoughts, Matt? My thoughts is we talked to Matt Patrick Malone, and he's already Ooh. said that it's hard to just say, but Lamb of God and In Flames would be there. We're starting to see a pattern now, and I think we can see that there's a couple of bands that would make that list from our metal you know, conglomeration of fans. And last off was Jack Larkin. He reckons Mastodon, Lamb of God, Slipknot, and Machine Head. Good luck getting Mastodon to the gig being in the metal top four because they don't even want to be a part of metal these days, it yeah, seems. Yeah, the guys, yeah. The least thing he says, we don't. Was it they don't really like metal or something? They or don't. I don't think... They don't record uh, metal band or something? Yeah, it's it's a tough one because they've got a home in it sometimes, but uh, they're definitely progressive and stuff. But Lamb of God, Slipknot and Machine Head. Time for our opinion, Danny. Uh, top fours. Now, what context do you want to give this in? Do you want to be just your top four or do you want to kind of just riff it out and just be like, you just your what you see should be the top four because they're making the most money? Which well, I think... Yeah. I think we which, but there has been a similar genre too. That's a really hard question. Yeah, I mean, this is a bit a stretch of similar genre, but I'm going to go for my definition is clean vocals yeah. and still considered rock to hard rock yeah. and variants. Mine would have to be Avenged Sevenfold, yeah. uh, Nightwish. They're, they're selling out the U2 arena, man. Um, Volby and also Blind Guardian. I think they're probably... The a, blind, a Blind Guardian that big? I reckon they're very massive, man. Yeah, yeah. I reckon, for me, they're probably the biggest four clean vocal bands kind of dominate at the moment, which I think could do it. Yeah. The thing is with that is that I find that the bands you said are ridiculously rich in all hell and popular, but in Europe. Oh, yeah. yeah so true, yeah. the biggest one about the top four that I find is how that transitions across the world. The problem is that right now, I think that Europeans have a certain sound that they like to gravitate towards, and America has a certain style they like to gravitate towards. However, I would assume that Lamb of God would just be the band that transitions the best over the top of the whole lot, right? And I think right now, the product of our time will stick with groove metal. Because the thing about thrash metal was it was very, very popular for the 80s. And I think eventually, it just kind of like we're in this part where Gent kind of took over the, the Meshuggah the era came. 
you know, and it's still kind of here. So I would definitely put my sugar in that top yeah, four. I'd definitely, yeah. Um, and saying that though, I can understand that they're not maybe not biggest everywhere in the world, but their their global stamp and their importance of metal is the most important thing I'm going to give it here. So I would consider this a groove metal orthon. So I've got my sugar in there. I've got Lamb of God, which are again yeah, yeah. very I much tested. I, I want to put Machine Head in there. I really, really do. Because they've touched on it, but they've had so many inconsistent albums that it's really hard for me to want to do it. But they are pretty massive. I would have, if Pantera was still around today, though, could you imagine? They would definitely be the top four, you know? So, um, so I'm at the two. Uh, I've got to put a couple of other bands in there, but this is where I kind of get stuck because I'm like, who are the two other most grooviest metal bands in the industry right now? Um, I, I wouldn't know, but I, from what I've gathered from. Put, oh, you have to put Slipknot in there. I know they're not really they groove-ish, but yeah, I'll put something on there for sure. But yeah. you have to. I mean, they're just dominating. They have their own festival. Ah, oh, they're groove-ish. They yeah, are groove-ish. groove-ish the, but, the yeah. Iowa album was groovy as shit. Yeah. So I would say that. So you got Slipknot. You've got uh, Meshuggah. Lamb of God. You got Lamb of God, right? And they asked them the three juggernauts. The thing is, I really want to put Avenged Sevenfold something in there because I know these guys still out arenas as well. They're quite big, rah rah. And like you said, singers is probably the most important, but I can't do it. I just can't pick that top four as medals. Um, staple. So the last one I'm going to have to just give it to is probably Fear Factory. I'll just Fear give Factory. it to yeah. I can Fear Factory slash Arch Enemy. If they can keep mm. Loomis on there and they can get him impacting it. Because now, they, now they've, they've got a lot of momentum lately with the new singing stuff. They yep. could really become top of the pops or top of the metal. Agreed. But I couldn't um, I couldn't honestly do the time because I guess at the moment 80s was selling quite well and they managed to break into the mainstream. I guess that's why the Big Four was so popular. Right now I just don't think you can get those kind of uh, the conglomeration between pop and metal to kind of coexist and, and like a certain band. So I'm just going straight for just metal. Um, but I, I love the way you put it with Volbeat and stuff like that. I think that, in all honesty, will probably transit better. Even Disturbed are, are doing yeah. quite well as well and can sell like quite arenas. So, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think all we do is prove that uh, there are big fours in metals, but I don't think there will be a big four currently right now as it stands. It is tricky. I mean, right in the 80s, I guess there were so few, not so few bands, but there just seemed to be those bands which just clearly rose to the top and that was it. And everybody just got excited by them because it was, it was a lot harder back then to hear of all the other bands. So once bands, I guess, made to the top, you just automatically wanted to support and follow those bands. And they, they probably were the better ones at the time, to be fair. But it's just so hard with so many different bands and so many avenues to look at bands and find bands. So many subgenres, people getting caught in their subgenres. It's really hard to really group four together and have four dominating ones but I still think you're still going to have your rock base ones still dominate quite well yeah. you know, and if, if, if we ever wanted to classify Nickelback as a metal or hard rock oh, band mate, <laughs> so with that guys thank you for that top fours much appreciated you know, if you want to check out more of that go to facebook.com forward slash supermetalbro or even twitter.com forward slash supermetalbro and just leave us a comment and ask us what you think we can do for our next editorial for next week You know, if you guys got a question that you guys want us answered you know, we'll happily give you the 10 minutes you need. But until then, let's talk about our CD review. Not much can be said apart from, holy crap, these guys are angry. We are talking about hate and the latest album, Tremendum. 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 Tremendum, mate. Tremendum. Dum dum dum. Yeah, these guys really don't like life. They <laughs> have been smashing a certain black and death metal sound now. For quite some time, and really, they have no chance of stopping this album here we're talking about today. You know, is is more of what you come to expect of what uh, Hate are going with, but uh, it's a heavy. These guys are still metal; they're still bringing it at, at uh, certain intense velocities. But do we like it or not? Well, you know, we're just gonna have to talk about, it, aren't we, Danny? Yeah, definitely. Right. I mean, Matt, you're pretty much sold on Hate. The last album you bought, or one before that, you really got into it. We really looking forward to this album so yeah. we actually know a bit about hate to go back to so this album here it's um yeah we we were kind of expecting it but um, it's actually come a little bit different to what we expected the thing was that you can tell this band's been drawing a lot of parallels to their cousins behemoth i think they're even from the same country but most importantly is they have a very similar style of delivery the riffs and even the vocal style has been attributed to being not a exact ripoff but an influence on their sound uh, is this album definitely going to pull them away from it? Well, let's talk about it straight off with the riffs. And this album, Danny, has a lot of guitar on it. You can hear it all the time. But it's something different that they don't do as much of it back in the day. And that's really developed riffs. I really found these uh, just chords. Yeah. 
or, right. or octaves, which are basically two notes from the chord, but everything's just strum at tremolo. And it's just all like, no, 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 no. And it's every track. I found it really hard was, is this is this a different track? Is is it the same one that I had on loop? I had to look at my phone because I put my songs on my phone. I've been like, no, it's definitely a different track now. But I, I found that these these guitars were just always doing this thing. And for that band, it's very interesting. If you listen to some of the earlier works, they like to incorporate different elements like death metal, a bit more rock and riffs, more of those pumping sort of styles. Think of the song Trinity Moons, which we actually played on Andrew Hogue's radio station at the time where I had that whole middle section of a couple of chords, but they got a lot more of that kind of riffage in it. Um, but this album doesn't have that, does it, Danny? Definitely not. I was very surprised. So I was always waiting for the part where they'll kick it up a notch, do a heaviness, maybe not like a breakdown, it's a hard rock section or just some fat, chunky sections. And until like track nine, which is the last track, if you don't count two bonus tracks, that was, that was the only time there was pretty much one of those hard rock and grooving yeah, sections. Yeah, it's like... And it was like, that's it. That's a hate riff, you know? Yeah, that was it, though. It was very surprising. I mean... The drumming is great on this album, but the drumming does um, set it up and the um, yeah, and it gives you a lot of variety and changes up quite a bit. But the guitars, uh, you're right, they don't really do too much. They yeah, they 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 hit a note, they hit it, and then that's it. They keep going. And the worst thing is that the songs kind of plateau at whatever attitude you regard it as. Mm. If you really like it, but then it's just going to stay there. If you don't like it, that's where it stays. Mm. Uh, it is angry, you know. It's definitely the 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 chordals, the chords they do use are very interesting. Um, creates a lot of dissonance, and in the way they kind of jump in between intervals between those notes, are unusual. Like they kind of that's mm. the curveball itself is where they take certain passages, and it seems to work whether they do it um, instinctively or not. It seems to create an interesting vibe, yeah. but it doesn't really make me hate anything. <laughs> These riffs, literally, it feels like they're placid. It feels like this album is more of experimental with an idea around certain. Yeah, it's certain riffs, but it, it really does feel like that, doesn't it? It doesn't feel angry. No, it doesn't. It just sticks to right. It sticks to that similar pacing and toning for each song, and you don't really get taken away much with the album. I mean, like, you're right, they have, the guitars have their own tone and feel to it. I mean, their higher registered um, core work and pacing does give it, like, an eeriness to their songs, but that's what you pretty much get. But apart from riffs, you don't really... You don't really get any much memorable riffs in there. Now, the one I want to talk about is the album Morphosis from Hate, right? Now, if you want a good example of what riffs, what Hate's really about, this album is far better when it comes to like storytelling riffs cause, and songs because they do a lot of things. You know, They do that kind of like pedaling off certain notes. They do heavier riffs. They do... Uh, but they use all this arrangement of black death metal sounds but also on the landscape with a bit more influences like of rock or something, you know? Um yeah, there's no there's no songs on here that are memorable in that sense. But whereas there's so much so plethora on the other albums, and um, ah, it's just a bummer because when I heard uh, Morphosis, I was like, great, and then they went to the next album after that. They just embellished it, made everything heavier and more angrier. And I was like, great again. But then when the album after that, I think it was Solar Flesh came out afterwards. I'm like, okay, there was about two riffs, but then I could see them doing that pattern with chords, and it looks like they're just they're happy to go down that path a little bit longer. Yeah, maybe they, the more everybody else does is become a progressive metal band, <laughs> progressive oh. black metal band. Hey. Well, that's the thing. It, it kind of feels like it's not progressive in the sense that anything changes because it doesn't. Uh, the uh. riffs are there, but they're just chords. So with that, we'll just kind of move on to vocals. And uh, more of the same from the guy. I, uh, if, you've, if you're familiar with Hate, then these vocal styles and patterns won't surprise you, I guess, in the very least, Danny. Yeah, I mean, he's got a great growl to him. It's pretty much like steaky, you know. Oh, this is great. So if I <laughs> really like, yeah, but a bit better than that, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> more manly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty much what you get through the whole album, of course. I mean, his phrasing is good on it though, and it's the pacing is quite nice between his like slow and yeah. evilness to, with like, the fast blast beating and the um, higher registered creepy guitar tones it does have a nice feel and aura to his singing style but it's pretty much what you get from track one where you get until the end it's the same same style yeah that one awesome awesome note and we talked about this before in other bands that we kind of had a problem with it because there's certain singers that in the screaming industry that can give you an array of different styles uh i think the guy from aboard is probably one that comes to mind first up his style when he attacks a grindcore thing but the amount of uh intensities he can give you to sell you on those different riffs is, is incredible uh it's just awesome note but again because the riffage now isn't changing to accommodate it you really get to hear how the same it kind of sounds uh it is incredible like those the playing on the album is not an issue these guys are very 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 good and we'll talk about the drummer a little bit in a sec 
but they're not throwing any of these curveballs that they're so used to doing to set up more hatred and more I think you can get a, a response from people from like being like frustrated and they can like that for it and they can be hateful but it doesn't live up to it with these vocals or these riffs Danny yeah, yeah it's a bit of a shame so I guess go diversity diversity mm-hmm. is and this is where the album kind of just falls on it again if we've talked about this other albums where if you love this sound from track one then from the I, I think eventually no I'll have to argue that I think fans will eventually come to a, a point in the album where they're like okay that's enough <laughs> yeah I can't imagine where it'll be like from start to finish they loved like because loving one track is one thing but if I had one track 10 times in a row I would eventually be like no nah, I want to move on to something else you know I've got exactly what I want from that song gotten it out of my system what's next yeah again the biggest problem with this album is I had to check my phone to make sure that song wasn't repeating it feels like certain things are repeated in the album mm. which under progressive sense, like you said, if you're trying to storytell, it's great. And maybe that's what they were trying to do, which is fantastic. But there was no story in the music. Mm. There might be a story in the lyrics and they were trying to get something across. And maybe the ideas were a story driven, but there's it, nothing plateaus. There's no feeling. There's no there's no riot. There's no roller coaster. There's no question. There's no answer. All there is is noise. And um, I hate saying that, man, because I love this band, but I'm... I can't like the album. I just, I've tried, you know, I tried and do it with the uh, Solar Flesh and the same thing happened where it was too familiar and for a band that was so creative, it really feels like they might have found a creative voice in it but they've played that creativeness 10 times. Yeah, no, you're right. It's more about a tone and feel of this album rather than creating, I guess, music, I guess, how you want to call it. You're right. There really wasn't much diversity. Some songs may, you know, put some subtleties in it with the, some guitar lines would be slightly different or the drumming can be quite changed up quite a bit. Yeah. So you have these subtleties, but you're right, there's not enough for you to say, oh, that song's completely a standard to that song, or this song has that going for it, that song has that going for it. I mean, a couple of solos are chucked in there to help out a bit. But and they're good so His playing's yeah. actually better now. The solo's actually one of the highlights. Sorry, Danny. Go yeah, no, no, you're right. The solo's quite good, and they, they, they feel and they fit quite well, transition through the song quite well. So they, they, were, they were nice, but then it came back to just the same pacing throughout the songs, very um, methodic with their approach to their songs. So... So yeah. the, so we'll move on to literally the highlight of the album, that's the groove. And this drummer, from the very inception when I heard him to now, is saving this band. Literally, if he isn't in this band, this band, unless he is the reason why they're doing this style, and in that case, man, he's their worst enemy and their best and their best ally, the best uh, thing going for him. Yeah. But we don't know that for sure, so let's talk about the grooves. And oh, I love this drummer. I think he's one of the best death metal drummers going around right now. Oh, yeah, I mean, especially if you love blast beats. If you love blast beats, man, you're going to have a yeah. bucket full of blast but beats. But again, when we're talking about the albums before this, like, you know, Morphous and... Sorry, give me a sec. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, saying the drum again, it's not just continuous blast beats. I'm a bit harsh on that. But they he does do a lot of variety, a lot of change, a lot of great symbol work. Yeah. So a lot of variation but, there. Like, like I was saying with uh, Morphosis and Erebok, those albums are a good contrast of how many styles he can give a listener when he's given different riffs. But there weren't any of those things given to him this time, you know. Um, th- so he couldn't, he had to work with what he's got. And because they were just tremolo pick chords from the start to the very end, he had to give blast beats. And that's the only thing that was pretty much going to work over the whole lot. Yeah. But he gives a, such an array of different style of blast beats and of intense drumming that uh, that is, for me, the reason why I'll keep coming back to this album. And problem is I'm not a drummer. Yeah, yeah. So it does get a bit hard after a while. I mean, again, there is a there is a tone and a feel to the album with the, um, I guess, the methodic approach to this thing and with those like higher tone, um, guitar tones and uh, chord stuff used. So you can tell there's a bit of an ambience to the album, but... After two songs, you get it. And after that, you're like, I don't need it here anymore. So with that, we're going to wrap a bow around it with the production. Now, the one thing between the main difference between Behemoth and Hate is production values, right? Now, basically, I would consider Behemoth as a band that I think would just press record, no click track, no nothing, just play. And it sometimes just sounds like a wall of noise. And even Negrao's singing is just whatever you know it really like tempo speed up they slow down guitar playing can sound kind of rough sometimes but uh it gives you a very but because the songwriting is so strong and the musicianship generally is very good it doesn't really matter too much hey on the other hand are very like you can hear riffs very clinically played there's a bit more of a stale nature to it but it's far more together and it's much more compromise uh, you know complete in that sense um being, but you're running your risk of being stale, I guess, you know, uh, whereas being with running risk of just losing all that noise to anarchy, and sometimes they do. 
Um, but overall, Danny, the production values are fine, I think, oh, here, yeah. aren't they? Sounds great. Yeah, like, yeah, everything sounds good. Very clean, very crisp, not very black metal at all. I like. Well, the best thing about it, there's a bit of darkness to it, though. The guy who produced the album, he didn't just uh, give it a once over. I think there's a lot of work went into making sure this album sounds dark, and I think production values are really a testament to what this guy's done with it. Um, but again, it's because like the, I'm talking about like obviously guitars, tones, and stuff like that as well. But uh, just a generally, the songwriting wasn't anyone's favor, and. Unfortunately, man, I can't recommend this album to anyone. Hate fans are... If you like Solar Flesh, you'll like it. But if you're like me and you really dug the middle kind of era, I just don't think there's anything here that's going to really take up your time. Yeah, actually, the, the one band and album which I feel like if you like that album, you might like this album, is Blackwater Park from Opeth. Yeah. Because there's at times where you have that slow, methodic, high guitar tones over the um that type of growling. And you actually have a bit of similarities to that album. Again, it's not the whole album, of course, of Blackwater Park, but there's at times yeah. where it, it's, it reflects on that album when it comes to that doomier top sound. So apart from that, it's pretty much the only thing I can say. Oh, it's gutted, man. It, makes, it just puts me in a shit mood, man. I love this band. and I'd want this band to be a big four. Um, they're just kind of just falling off my radar a bit because they're not quite what I fell in love with at the time. They've changed quite a lot, which, hey, look, and they haven't changed to be more commercial. This is the opposite. This band is actually changing more to run away from that and be even more black and uh, more metal and more black metal and more, uh, like, you know, that kind of, uh, yeah, it's just not doing it for me, unfortunately. And that's a, and that's a shame, I guess. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, no, it's, look, it's not a, yeah, don't buy this album. Yeah, unfortunately yeah. not. I would recommend Biggerith. We actually reviewed Adam, and that album for me is far stronger. And they're, they're both black and death metal bands, but when you hear these two guys line up next to each other, everything's different from each other, but one has much more interesting um, dichotomies about them, much more to offer a listener and to uh, prevent listening fatigue. So if you wanted a black and death album to listen to, go and buy that instead. And with that, we're at the end of our show. Thank you guys for listening today. We've had quite the tour. Uh, nothing like uh, going a few rounds on Lincoln Park and on Hate, I'd imagine, Danny. Yeah, my f- knuckles are all bloody and broken, Matt. I know. And with that, I'm Super Brother Matt. And I'm Super Brother Dan. And in the words of Hate, fresh and 